an unexpected story out of the so-called hot labor summer. Strippers united will never be divided. Binge all four episodes of Imperfect Paradise Strippers Union wherever you get your podcasts. So, let's see. Is there anything big happening in your life right now? I think a lot of, like, I got a new job and in a new city, so I think there's that. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge, yeah. Was that, ex- was, was that something that you expected? Um, yeah, so I've been trying to move to L.A. for, or I've been not, like, trying, trying, but... I'm sitting across from Kyle Chang before he possibly sees his future. Kidding. We don't really have that kind of power. (laughs) All right. Whoa. You can tell this is a new deck. Look at all these cards. (laughs) All right. What does it say? Confidence. Wow. In this moment... I take a step back and look at myself with the pride of a good mother. I see an abundance of abilities and talents that show up all the time in big and little ways. If I could stick myself on a refrigerator, I would... (laughs) (laughs) I know, they're a little corny towards the end. (laughs) I would invite all the neighbors over and say, look at that. Can you believe what an A-plus that is? <laughs> wow. That's a good card. I love that's, the illustration. That's yours thank, to keep. Thank you. Yeah, for your new chapter, new life. On this episode of Snooze, I sit down with the great Margaret Cho, a stand-up comedian, writer, singer. She's a real Renaissance woman. And she tells me what it's like to go to a high school similar to the one in the HBO drama Euphoria, and what she tells herself when the pressure feels overwhelming. You're listening to Snooze, a show about things people put off, how they conquer them, but more importantly, how they conquer themselves. I'm Megan Tan. Let's go. Are you recording on your end? Oh, I'm not. I can be. Okay. Just a second. Cool. I know you have a podcast, too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you're also on Atsuko Okatsuka's podcast. Who, yeah, I love her. Yeah. She was on, um, she's been on Snooze as well. Yeah, she's great. It's funny because this is my first time speaking with legendary Margaret Cho, but she already feels somewhat familiar. Not because we both know Atsuko, but because she's been a pioneer for decades. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bonjour. Merci. Je t'aime. I I just have to say hi to the Asian people. And also, we're putting off the same thing. I actually keep putting off doing the drop challenge, and it's because I um, can't figure out how to edit it on TikTok, which is like, I, it's so, t- 
<laughs> I'm sure. Yo, I get like, it. Because I want to do it right. Also, I have a hard time because um, I don't have like a selfie stick. And then so like anything I do like full body on TikTok is really hard because I have to figure out how to like angle my phone onto something. So mm-hmm. I'm putting off getting a selfie stick. I'm putting off um, doing the drop challenge. I'm putting off learning anything on TikTok besides what I already know. I barely know anything, but uh, I love it. I just got on. I I'm not even on TikTok, but I wanted to do the I wanted to do the thing where like people bounce and they like change their clothes. You know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like so, a bus it, like yeah. a bus it challenge. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't even. I don't even. I'm like the worst millennial. But enough about TikTok. I want you to get to know a creator who has made the world laugh for years. Snooze will be back after this break. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Now, back to the show. If you went to a party and you didn't know anybody uh, and you would go up to some people to introduce yourself, what would you say? Hi, I'm Margaret. How are you? <laughs> Lucky person at the party, huh? Because <laughs> Margaret is just not any Margaret. Margaret Cho got her start in TV with her very own show, All-American Girl. No, I will not go to the Rialto. Well, for one thing, they don't carry the large size good and plenty. And for another, their floors are always sticky. And I don't even know why it's sticky. It's like tar or something. It's so... I gotta go. And has performed on big shows like The Masked Singer. You started comedy at yes. such a young age, you know, you told, I mean, you told your mom at 14 yeah. that you wanted to be a comedian and, th- and then you won this challenge where you opened yes. for Jerry Seinfeld yes. and, and, and then you moved to LA and in your twenties, um, I was reading that it's like in, in a two year period, you had booked over 300 concerts. It was really weird because uh, I think I was lucky in that I was right in the middle of a comedy boom. And then jumping on it was really um, Mm. important because then it really gave me a lot of leverage. But I didn't have enough life experience to really fully understand what being a comedian was. So it took me like till this this all this time to kind of catch up on that. And better now um, as Mm. a comedian. Uh, than I was then. But what was good then is that I, um, I never hit snooze when I was young. 
because I, I just was so driven to have it now. Like I want to be an adult now. I want to have my own house now. I want to have my own TV show now. And it was like before social media. So you didn't have a sense of accomplishing things on your own. You needed other entities to accomplish that for you. So whether that was um, doing clubs and, and universities and theaters, whether that was going and being part of a network and doing television, it was really different. And so I think um, a lot of the drive that I had was tied to needing much more of larger entities to give me that space as opposed to now where we can satisfy some of those urges with um, social media platforms, um, which are sure. uh, definitely a way that people make strides nowadays. So it's, it's all changed, but the um, impetus that I had was really important in the beginning for me. But I mean, like, that is is big, you know, like all of those shows at that age is big for any young person and really any any person just living, yeah. you know. Um, and so I wanted to know, like, was there a phrase or something you would tell yourself before, you know, you got on stage? I think it was more just a feeling of like, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. And it was like, trying to hype myself up for it. And it was kind of the same of like, mm. I used to play piano when I was really little and I would do a lot of piano concerts and it was so terrifying. I had such debilitating stage fright that would like come as like ice in my fingers. Like I couldn't move my hands. And you're playing like these like kind of classical pieces that everybody knows. Mm. So you cannot make a mistake. It's not like jazz. It's not like we're doing, <laughs> you know, Thelonious Monk. It's not like you could improv anything. You have to like stay on the uh, entire phrase of music. It, it was just so impossible. And what was one of the songs? Just like, um, you know, a Furelise is a classic, mm -hmm. or uh, Moonlight Sonata, all of the Beethovens, mm -hmm. <laughs> all of the Mozarts. It's so scary. So you just go, you have to go, it's going to be great, it's going to be great, it's going to be great, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine. I'll live. It's going to be great, it's going to be fine, I'll live. <laughs> and you do. And no matter how great it goes or how bad it goes, you're still alive at the end, mm. hopefully. Do you remember the first time you said that to yourself? I think it was when I was playing. Mm. Um, how old were you? Probably seven or eight. And uh, I, it really felt like a firing squad. I mean, as much as a seven or eight-year-old could feel like they were in front of a firing squad. But that's like the kind of doom and gloom that I was really used to. Mm -hmm. I tend to catastrophize things like whatever it is in my life. Like I always like worry about it so much that it becomes a catastrophe so that I can almost like mm. pre feel the bad feelings mm. before I possibly feel them. No matter what it is, any kind of occurrence in my life, like I approach with dread, even if it's good, because there's a kind of mechanism on my brain mm. that always goes to this is going to be terrible. 
And so that's like my whole life is trying to lift up out of that. Um, Cause it's like, what's the point of pre-feeling emotions before you even get to them? I, I think that's like kind of been the main focus of like my own healing in my healing journey in life is trying to get out from under this idea that worrying is going to be somehow beneficial, that worrying is the same as meditation and it's not. Yeah. Worrying is definitely not like meditation. Meditation is supposed to make you relax and not worry about things that haven't happened yet. So I wanted to let Margaret know what's kind of helped me remain calm. I've been taught like as a kid from my mom, because um, I'm I'm Buddhist. And so uh, it's always about like causes, you know, like the mm-hmm. causes that you make. And so you almost have to like change your brain to to like make uh, positive causes in order for your environment to start to reflect them, you know. Mm-hmm. So like what, mm-hmm. what you're saying, you know, essentially when you're seven years old is like, you're creating your reality, you know, like with your brain. Yeah, we're always creating a reality, even though the world seems to be in sort of a terrible situation, of course, now, um, still, with everything going on. But I have to rely Mm. on um, my own, like, mental and spiritual Mm. peace as being the main source of my guidance, as opposed to catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you can't, you can't change what's outside of you. You can change what's inside. So you can change how you're going right. to feel about it, yeah. which is all, all that for me, like my family is half Buddhist and half super mm. Christian. So we're like kind of approach things in a, in a sort of a backwards way, because I think the Christianity sort of drew us back, whereas the Buddhism was always mm. forward. So it's just about like trying to find that forward thinking Mm. in peace. Well, and so in relation to forward thinking, you know, just like looking at your life is so expansive, you know, you're like a Mm -hmm. singer and a writer and a comedian and an actress and a businesswoman, you know, it just doesn't feel like you have like the ceiling of your perceptions of what you can achieve you know, it, uh, it feels like you just blow the top off of them, you know, every single time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious uh, if there's a phrase or something that you tell yourself that allows you to like launch into all of these different avenues that m- maybe you hadn't been in before, or experienced before. Well, I remember what a teacher, I had a teacher who was um, really influential and, um, she would sign me up for comedy shows when I was really young. Oh, wait, wait, what's what's their name? Her name is Elizabeth Shapiro. And she um, is a really amazing teacher, but she would just always say, oh, Margaret can do every, everything. You can do everything and you can do anything. You can do everything. You can do anything. Oh, teachers. They do not get enough credit. My mom's a retired teacher. And actually, the majority of my family on my mom's side were all teachers. And she always encouraged me to follow through with my goals. Even when, like Margaret, these goals involved putting myself out there for the whole world to hear and see me. And that always stuck with my 
brain and my heart. And so she taught me, she put me and Sam Rockwell together in a comedy team and put us on stage at a comedy club locally. <laughs> and she told us, both, oh, you both can do anything. You could do everything and anything. And then, so, you know, he's gone on to win Oscars and be this oh incredible God, actor and, and actually do anything and everything. And, and I feel the same. Like, so, you know, when our cement is wet, we really can be impressionable. And my cement mm. was really wet. And she just put that imprint, you can do anything, you can do everything on me very early on. And it, it's true. So I think it's about, you know, encouraging that we don't have limits except for the ones that we impose mm. on ourselves. So when you say your cement was really wet at that time, like what, what was happening? I was just uh, like 14. I was totally open to anything that could happen in my life, mm. you know, that I uh, wasn't doing great in school and that I wasn't really particularly happy as a teenager and I didn't want to be a kid anymore. And so that gave me the sort of drive to want to seek out what my life was going to be early mm. on. And how did you get connected to um, Ms. Shapiro? She was a theater teacher at my school. What? So <laughs> it was very like, like, like your, your public high school? High or? school. Yeah, what? it was public high school. It was a school of the arts. Yeah, I also so went to arts high very, school. <laughs> yeah, so it was very like possible for her to sort of push me out into this world of learning and um going out and doing comedy there's videos of us actually on um youtube of me and sam doing comedy stuff uh and aisha tyler was in our class too sam and margaret are really close friends of mine they're both real cool and talented their suggestion from the audience was that their two ex-lovers meet again by accident on an ocean liner well how about that are you sure hey you got a you got a an ethnic change didn't you yeah. You're Chinese now. <laughs> Most of this was unfit for mature audiences, but it was pretty right on for us. You know, I got one hanging off my... My God? Yeah. She's snacky wacky. You remember? Yeah. Hey, how about this? Yeah, what? So it's a whole like YouTube thing about like it was a it was a special that was on local television in the 80s that um, actually uh, is, is still out there. So it, it's it's part of the wow. ethos now. It's part of the world. That's so beautiful how teachers can can do that for young people at that age. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, why do you feel like that? has resonated with you up and you know like that's what you remember i think because i'm still that age in my heart like i'm really still a kid in a lot of ways and that there's a lot of uh childlike wonder that i have around the world and my life um but there's also like the the sort of in interwoven with childhood ideas of how to cope, which is constant worry and constant catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, I haven't grown up. The grown up side of me is always going to try to embrace peace and meditation over worry. Mm -hmm. So that's um, the goal is to fully grow into that without losing the, the childlike wonder of life. Mm -hmm. 
Podcast News will be back after this break. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. Most of your day would be in your particular uh, area of study. So some people would go to dance, other people would go to music, other people would go to visual arts, and we would go to theater. And um, so we had our theater class, and, um, you know, it's funny, like, whenever I watch the television show Euphoria, mm. it's so similar to... Uh, except I'm Jules, and then my best friend is Rue, who unfortunately passed away. Not Rue, but the woman that was became Rue in my mind. And when I watch the show, I'm like, oh my God, it's my friend. But um, so we would all go to class and, um, you know, we just uh, would do like uh, improv games and theater games, like dorky improv games which are so silly but actually are helpful Mm. in helping you think on your feet and we would do um these different plays and then sometimes we put on plays for the school um and so that there would be like we'd put on these like little like mini festivals i ended up spending like more time at school through these theater programs than i would if i was just a student Mm. but um it sort of made me realize, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. So theater is very familiar to me. And then I, on the summer, I would go to theater camps um, at San Francisco State. And we would actually live on campus. Oh, wow. And, um, which is kind of very adult. But I was also doing stand-up comedy, too. And um, so there was a lot of different stuff going on where it was um, involving me more in this life of doing theater and being an artist. And Elizabeth Shapiro was very like much an art forward kind of person. Like it was always art forward and art first. And that was really meaningful Mm -hmm. um, to be in school, but still be doing what you want to do is really quite incredible. So I think that's really what the entire um, world was, is that Elizabeth was always very encouraging of my work and my life to be art forward. Mm, I love that art Mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, when I kind of Google zoom out and look at your life, it's like, it is very art forward. Yeah, whatever it is, you know, even if it's something like, um, uh, one of the last art forward things that my friend Jerry and I did, the one who reminded me of Rue, who passed away, mm. she and I would go and uh, when Robin Williams died, we went out on the street and we raised money for the unhoused. And it was a very like crazy thing where it was a spectacle. We would go out on the street with all these like musical instruments and play and do comedy and sing. And we would steal electricity from the buildings. <laughs> around like where we could and we would just plug in amps and just go and like it it was this huge 
crazy, very San Francisco thing to do. But it was a way to sort of look at um, somebody that we loved, who was Robin Williams, and look at somebody, you know, he helped uh, a lot of the unhoused and with Comic Relief, which was a major focus in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, so we thought, oh, we're going to do this. And it was so, like, not career-oriented. It was so, like, art-forward. But that's what was so special about it. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the greatest memories of her that I have. Um, mm-hmm. And Elizabeth would come to those, too. It's so funny to see us all adults. And she would cheer you yeah, on? Yeah, she would. You know what I mean? Like, as like, you guys are doing Still like- there, you know. And, <laughs> and so it's such a strange um, thing to think about. But, um, you know, there's... Um, there's a lot of like art forward life experiences that I still try to cultivate. And so it's just basically being about an art forward person. Mm. And what would you say is a phrase, you know, that you tell yourself now um, whenever things get challenging? Joan Rivers would always tell me too, like, they're always going to want you. They're always going to want you. Like, it's not like you're, um, you're going to lose value as you get older. It's going to be more, more, more. Like, as you get older, you'll get more of what you want. More people will want to hear from you and more people will want to hire you and you'll get more, more out of life. And I think that's really been true. Can you tell me the story about how she gave you that phrase? Um. I think it was really just a constant thing that she would always say, they're going to want you when you're older. They're going to want you more. Like, it's like she would always be mostly talking about herself. And um, she was always very encouraging about aging into who we're meant to be and also enjoying age. It's not like a um, sort of thing that I remember in, that is sort of crystallized in a memory. It's almost like it was her attitude towards life. Like every time I asked her to do something, she would always be up for it and, um, you know, work wise or I would get to go to her shows or we would go to events, um, gay pride places, um, different things. And so, you know, she was very, uh, I don't know, she was very enthusiastic about hanging out and doing stuff. And so she was great. Mm, That's so beautiful, Margaret. I love that so much. You know, I have a sister who's 10 years older than me, so I feel like I'm constantly looking at life like 10 years before my time, but also learning from people who are, you know, much older and have gone through life. I just think is so beautiful, you know? Yeah. As I'm hearing all of these stories and encouraging phrases Margaret is giving us, I want to ask her about something very specific. As someone who's been in the entertainment industry since she was 14 years old, I feel like she's the perfect person to ask. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this show. And I, I, I trick in my mind. I'm like, oh, life is going to be put on pause. Like, you know, like I'm going to go into production. Life is going to be put on pause. Um, But of course, life is never put on pause. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for yourself, someone who's like, you know, really like grew up, you know, in, in this industry um, and life was never put on pause for you. Uh, And when I say life, I guess to be more specific for me. So um, 
my my like people in my family are going through health issues and next week I'm actually going to be going to be like a 24-hour um, caretaker for one of my family members and uh, and, and I'm also going to be working you mm. know <laughs> and so I'm like mm-hmm. whoa this is life right mm-hmm. um, and so I'm curious for you like what do you tell yourself to continue to show up to the things that you want um, despite all sorts of derailments that are bound to happen well, I think that's just part of it. You know, you accept every experience as part. I mean, the only control that we have over anything is how we're going to feel about it and our attitude towards it. So it's better to just have acceptance around whatever's going on and know that it's the right thing and it's fine, you know, as opposed to regret or dread. It's best to just sort of embrace whatever it is head on, you know, uh, like the only way out is through, which is constantly the truth of it all. The only way out is through. And so you just go through. The only way out is through. And it's always fine. It's weird because it's always fine. Even though it's terrible, it's always fine. Even though it's great, it's always fine. So it's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's what I was telling my dad actually, who's the one who's um experiencing yeah. health issues. I'm like I'm like the only way out is through. You got to just yeah. <laughs> go through. Go yeah. go through stop avoiding things. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um so as someone who's been in comedy for more than 30 years, you know, and you know are constantly like booking sold out shows and I wanted to know like how do you stay fresh? I think it's just about paying attention paying attention to life and the way it is and what's happening. And you just see it all as it comes. And, um, you know, that's really all that it is. It's just like being present, Mm. which I think it always relates back to like Buddhist ideology is staying present, staying in the moment, Mm. and then you'll be ready for it. Mm. How do you like continue to, you know, because I feel like it's such a daily thing practice to be present it's hard it's really hard hard. it is hard it's really hard um but that's why it's that's why it's a practice it's like we don't always get it perfect but Mm. we get to practice Mm. oh i love that too you got so many phrases you know oh good (laughs) yeah i love it yes love it um (laughs) thank you so much for coming on to the show if it's okay with you i would love to take a commemorative photo Let's Is that it. cool? Okay. Yeah. All right. What are we going to say? Uh, drop uh, Drop challenge soon. <laughs> drop challenge. One, two, two. One, two. <laughs> Love it. All right. I'll see you on the other side of TikTok. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. You too. Bye. Three days after my conversation with Margaret, I'm on a plane with a one-way ticket to my hometown. I'm going to support my family. My 75-year-old father recently fell and is in recovery. I'll be by his side, waking him up every morning, making him breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and making sure he takes his medication and also that he smiles a few times a day. I'm not really sure what these next few weeks will look like, 
but I know what to watch if both of us need a laugh. <laughs> no, I will not go to the Rialto. Well, for one thing, they don't... A fearless woman who has pushed herself to do scary things her whole life. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be fine. I'll live. Who lives and goes through the world without a ceiling. You can do everything. You can do anything. And who has taught me to embrace the parts of life we can't predict. The only way out is through. If you have something that you've been putting off, call us. 323-591-8159. That's 323-591-8159. Leave us a message, and you could be on an episode of Snooze. Don't put it off. I'm talking to you. This episode of Snooze was produced by Marina Pena. Marina Pena and Megan Tan wrote the episode. It was edited by Kyle Chang and Eric Galindo. Eric Galindo also fact-checked this episode. It was mixed and engineered by Donald Paz. Jessica Pilot is our talent producer. Eric Galindo is our showrunner. Megan Tan is our host. Our producers are Marina Pena and Emma Alabaster. Our associate producer is Kyle Chang. Antonio Cerejido and Leo G are the executive producers. Our theme song is by Wayne Dopeman. Andrew Epin wrote and composed the original music for this show. The original artwork for Snooze was created by Sana Hong. Make sure you hit follow, like, and subscribe to Snooze wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow Megan on Twitter or Instagram at Megan Lee Tan and the show at Snooze Podcast. Our website on LAist is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing team who also created our branding. Snooze is a production of Elias Studios. Thanks to the team over there, including Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Hayford, Sabir Barra, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, and Leo G. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. If you like snooze, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Trust me, it really helps us out, and we would love to know what you think. And if you love snooze, become a sustaining member of KPCC and LAS Studios by going to las.com slash memberships. Support the place that supports this work that supports people like me. I'm Kyle Chang, and thanks for listening. On the next episode of Snooze, sometimes life unsnoozes things for you. At least, that's what happened to me. Okay, warm up your legs. 
before you walk. All right. Do you want pants today? Here, go ahead and sit down. What shirt do you want? I don't want to change. Yeah, change. New day, new clothes. I go back home to help my father face himself. All right, Dad. Ready to have a good day? Good. I'm Megan Tan, and thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brian, the host of the How to Relate podcast. How about we go to the movies? Join us for a 10-part series, Revival House, and discover the magic of L.A.'s indie theaters. Who knows? You might meet someone. I know it sounds antithetical because you're just sitting passively, but in fact, you're connecting with everyone else around you. Subscribe to How to L.A. from L.A. Studios wherever you listen to podcasts.